Alright everybody, welcome once again to the GGWP, that is of course the Geeks and Gaming Worldwide Podcast. I am your host, Pyrotechnics, and I am joined on this podcast by my wonderful co-host is of course Chase Wassenaar and Mad Magical. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing great, happy to be here. Always fun to be here, always ready to talk about some gaming stuff. Well, we've got quite a lot of it, and I think we always have to dive right in with the esports stuff, so... Uh, before we get underway, I do want to remind everybody that we are available on not only Anchor FM, but as of this week, we're on podcast or Pocket Cast, rather. So we have another platform we're available on, still working on all the big stuff like iTunes. Uh, more information as that becomes available. But for the time being, we're available on Pocket Cast and Anchor FM slash GGWP. All right, guys, let's get right into it uh, with the big news of the week. The ultimate news of the week. Esports is here in a big way. I'm, of course, talking about the Simpsons episode. <laughs> Simpsons did it. Sims, they did it. That's one thing you can say about the episode. Whatever else you may feel about it, they sure did do it. So I have a proud tradition of not having watched The Simpsons for about five years, so I kind of just caught all of like the Twitter clips that like Slasher or whoever put up. Same. Uh, so, I mean, it looked like it seemed pretty proper to form. Like I liked the bit about like where Homer just asked five million times, like, you can make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, how well did it hit the mark for you guys? I didn't see it, so I only saw the clips like you did. <laughs> I, I watched the whole okay, thing. Okay, Chase, you're going to have to be our expert. Yeah, I, I, I sacrificed uh, for your sins so that I could Brave review salt. this whole episode. <laughs> um, I have to say, uh, the gamer stuff was mostly fine. Like, you saw the best couple clips that were out there. It was the Homer asking in the shower about, you know, you can really make money off of this. And it's the guy who was too awkward to have social conversations about anything other than gaming. Uh, and there's a great moment in which he's like, oh man, I'm 19. It's time for me to hang it up. My career's over. And just throwing it at like a bonfire outside. It was, that part was great. Um, the B plot of this sh- episode was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, it was kind of mean-spirited towards Lisa, which unfortunately happens too often nowadays. And the whole thing is like... So it was a Simpsons episode. So it was a Simpsons episode. But then, basically, they finally get to the big tournament, right? You have the Freak cameo, even though you never see Freak's character on screen. And it looks like we're about to have this big climactic finish. And Homer has gotten all zen from a Buddhist monastery that Lisa took him to. And so he's like, I don't need material things anymore and so he powers down the entire arena and then robots show up and then the whole thing just falls apart and then everyone's mad at bart and they fly home and i just we should have probably stacked a spoiler tag on this but (laughs) if you're watching simpsons because you're looking for like the sick plot twist i feel like you've missed the point of the simpsons but i do see where you're coming from it just it doesn't none of it works it doesn't come together as an episode you you saw you experienced the episode in the best way possible. I would not recommend that okay, people good. watch it. I would recommend. You know, I'm glad that, that me being lazy resulted in the best possible outcome because that's what I live. With. <laughs> I haven't watched The Simpsons since the early 2000s. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Um, okay, so in all seriousness, let's let's get down to you know the brass tacks in esports because in a lot of leagues around the world, especially in League and Overwatch, we're now getting into the end of the split, the end of the the first part of the season, which means playoffs playoffs don't talk about playoffs uh so let's first off though get into some interesting results you know over in the lck a lot earlier last week uh pretty much like within a couple of days of our last podcast recording the uh the previously unthinkable happened griffin got two zeroed not just beat 
2-0'd by Genji, ending their winning streak. And, you know, I, I'm going to give some credit over to you guys because you both kind of called it. We're, we're just geniuses. What can we say? We're the best. <laughs> yeah, I got to give Magical a little bit more credit than I did because I, I felt like this team had some mental edge and would be able to kind of power back when they'd fallen behind a little bit. I don't think this was a mental hiccup. I think this is, unfortunately, maybe a bit of a sword hiccup. It does not look like he's nearly as comfortable in this meta. He kept falling back on that Urgot pick on both 9.4 and where the game is now, which just didn't make sense. And when he's not ahead, the team is really confused as to what to do. It feels like they have kind of a series of steps in place as to how they want the game to play out. And Gen G hit exactly those marks and took him out. And then we saw the very next series that uh, Griffin had the same thing happen. They lose uh, this time over to the Afrika Freaks. And it seems like now there's a pattern here that teams can start to exploit. And this has me worried for the playoffs. So I'm now joining your bandwagon, Magical. Um, <laughs> yeah, how did you see this coming? Because I wasn't ready for this. I was ready for a step back. I was not ready for this. So when I look at Griffin, I love the team. I think they are such a strong team. They're mechanically the best players in the entire world, all five of them. But it's like you said, when they're not comfortable against something, they fall apart. You look at Sword in the top lane against the AD Nico especially. They had no idea how to play against that, against Gen G, who used that perfectly with Cube, where you look at the lead that Cube is able to get. It's not that much, but what it does is it keeps Sword in the top lane, so he's never able to go and help impact the other parts of the map, which is something that Griffin likes to do. They like to have the Goon Squad go across the map, they love to rotate, that's their playstyle. Into the Afrika Freaks uh, series that they had, they banned Nico every single game because they had no idea how to play around it, but they still weren't comfortable in the meta. Looking like how you said to Sword, how he's falling back to the Urgot, which I don't think is a terrible pick personally. It's just not as strong as it once was, especially with Conquer when it was so powerful. That's why we didn't see as much Urgot. Everyone thought the nerfs to Urgot would were what killed him. It was really the fact that not only did he get nerfs, but everyone else got a buff that usually counters him and likes to fight in the lane. So with Sword not having that reliable fallback tool that he could go to and having other people in Korea be able to punish him, it reminds me a lot of how Kingzone were when they were considered this unstoppable force that everyone's like, this is the best team in the entire world. Every single player is popping off. You got BDD, you have Khan. Nobody can stop them. But the fact is, even if they look like they're the mechanically the best team, Team, they have to still be able to adapt to the meta because they are so reliant on getting ahead when they're even even they look like they aren't that great of a team they don't really know how to play on an even foot or slightly behind which is something they have struggled with all season because they never had to deal with it fair yeah i mean it, it seems like they're they're definitely having some of those troubles of like too dominant and then finally getting challenged at the at the end at the finish line so there, there's kind of shades of this, like, ooh, is Griffin going to just get knocked out of the playoffs and, and not end up getting themselves into uh, an MSI situation? And, you know, we're just going to have a repeat of 2018. It sounds like we might be heading that way. Watch what I said last time. I think that they're going to get knocked out. T1, they're coming for them. I mean, T1. All right. Yeah, it's it looks like, I, I feel like we're at a point now where there isn't a clear best team in the region. I think you can name anyone of the top four teams in Korea and say they're going to MSI. And I would believe you. 
Um, and that's kind of, it's a fun place to be, but it's a weird place to be, given how Korea's just usually been dominated by these kind of dynastic well, powers. Well, let's talk about a region where it is a little bit more clear-cut, because we're going to be moving on into the LCS and we've now got a much clearer playoff picture. It's not set in stone just yet because there is still a week left to play. But currently, we have Top Dogs Team Liquid, who did lose to FlyQuest this last week, who also qualified their way into the playoffs alongside Team Solo Mid. Um, you know, what surprised you guys about this last week, if anything, in NA? I mean, definitely got to look at that game. You said how FlyQuest were able to beat Team Liquid. Nobody really saw that coming. But FlyQuest have been this team that are like the dark horse of North America. That everyone's been talking about only Team Liquid, Cloud9, and TSM. Those are the three teams everyone's been having in their conversation. But they forget about FlyQuest because they have had some hiccups along the way. But you look at this last week when they were able to take down Team Liquid. It looked clean, especially out of Polebelter, who is showing why he was has always been one of these consistently strong mid laners. Everyone starts writing him off like, oh, he's washed up. He's not going to be as good. And then he comes into the new season and he's like, watch, watch this. Let me beat you on this quirky pick. Let me win this lane so that I can get my team ahead. And that's what I think flyquests are and why they're going to be a team that you have to be careful of in the playoffs because while everyone might think that they got a fear of tsm i think flyquest is going to be a little bit more tricky to deal with mm, fair enough chase i just love I, I gotta give a shout out first to the core jj interview that he did after saturday's game where he talked about the enemy wanted to kill double lift and double lift wanted to kill himself and so i'm sorry i couldn't <laughs> save my baby today uh one of the best quotes i've heard oh. in a long time and I do feel like... That is, that's an instant classic in esports. Yeah, that was just very nice. And I do feel like that's one of the things that I, I would point to in that FlyQuest game as well. There's just a couple moments in which his positioning, double lift, obviously this team is very confident. They have a lot of reason to be. But FlyQuest are a team that are too good to make sloppy mistakes. And that's been nice for them to see. I think that they've grown from a, the beginning of the slit where they were talented enough and had enough... Uh, individual playmaking to be able to beat some of the weaker teams but wasn't quite in that upper echelon to now a team that can find those openings and can make those team-wide plays. Uh, that was great to see. I also, we can finally say farewell to 100 Thieves officially eliminated from playoff contention after this week's games. Uh, there's going to be a... I mean, it's about time, Yeah, right? there's going to be a lot of think pieces about what went wrong. Prawley has apologized for how all of that is gone, and I, I think that there's going to be some things to uh, consider as to how they change their approach heading into the next split, because I don't think anyone saw them finishing in dead last when we were making our preseason predictions, given how much just raw talent is there. But hey, if you want to look at this from the positive side of things, maybe this is just a sign that North America is finally turning into a region where the macro play is going to be more important than the raw talent that has kind of been the signature hallmark of teams like a Team Solo Mid that were so dominant for so long because they just had so many of the best players at their positions in the region. It's nice to see... Chase, are you telling me mm -hmm. that this is this is like where NA transforms from meme region into competitor? Is that, is that no, what you're no, let's, no absolutely up. not. Okay. I want to be on the record. <laughs> I think we're... Look, it's a step. Let's One step at a time. Let's celebrate where we are. And, uh, and we'll see how it comes at MSI. I want to believe, because Europe... Well, we'll get to uh, Fnatic versus G2 Esports. We've got, we've got them next. <laughs> but uh, 
Do you guys, I mean, do you guys want to still keep talking in A? Like, because we can move on to Europe. I mean... Uh, I, I think we could... Uh, well, I, do we want to say who we think is going to make the playoffs of the last five teams to qualify? Yeah, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's, let's talk about the last couple of teams, because there's two more playoff spots. NA has a very standard setup where, you know, they've got a uh, six-team bracket... Um, no real tricky stuff there, just to buy for the top two, et cetera, et cetera. Who do you think's walking away with the last two spots? I think Ooh, Echo Fox might one. sneak in. And that feels really weird to say, but Rush looks like a completely different player after his time off. That was a genuinely solid win over Cloud9, and I think that given their schedule, they're playing CLG, Team Liquid is rough, but I think that I think you might be able to get there. I, I... I Golden Guardians is a safe bet just because they have the one win over everyone else. Um, but I feel like they've also been looking pretty good, and they've they've been looking all right. I, I think that it's very possible that they and Optic split, and so then it comes down yeah. to do you believe that CLG is going to beat Echo Fox and One Hundred Thieves? And I feel like One Hundred Thieves now that they have nothing to lose, now that the pressure's off, this seems like uh, maybe. Uh, one of those situations we've seen before where teams finally start to play to who we think they could be now that they don't feel like they have to live up to some image that was set for them. So I'm going to give it to Golden Guardians and Echo Fox to, to somehow sneak that's in. That's interesting. All right. You know, I, I feel like it can go one of two ways with the uh, team that's got nothing to lose, right? Like they could totally just Superman and and completely like knock out uh, their opposition, but they could also just totally fold and give CLG a free win, in which case... I'd put them up there, but I guess that's a really telling game. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say Golden Guardians because I think that they are a strong team. They've been looking all right. They've been looking better as the season's been going on. Like They've finally been meshing together, so I think they're going to be able to hold on and get that fifth spot. And I think Counter Logic Gaming is going to get the last spot purely because they're going to lose to 100 Thieves and then they're going to beat Echo Fox because... What what more is Counter Logic Gaming than beating the team that you're like, oh, we're in the running to beat this team, and then losing the team that has nothing to lose? So can I just really quick just ask? No one has any faith in Optic then. Optic, no. <laughs> man, I want to like Optic, Optic so much. No. I I want to say shout out to Sabatine if you at all listen to this because he's one of the, my favorite coaches I've ever sat down and talked to. I just don't think they have. The, the solo, the, just the top lane right now, Dokla looks so rough, and the bot lane's inconsistent, and it's really hard to make the playoffs when your side lanes aren't very good. So I think... And not to mention Crown, like, either pops off or he gets caught out five times in a row. Yeah, and Crown's yeah, gotta play Yeah, they have Froggen. consistency issues for sure. Like, the only way they get through, they have to be Golden Guardians, and Froggen, I think, can match him, so I think... Alright. Okay, so I think we've got a pretty clear playoff picture, and, uh, while we're on the subject of clear pictures, let's move it on over to Europe, where the LEC wrapped up their regular split uh, in quite stylish fashion. Uh, but I do want to talk about something that happened before we were 100% set with the playoffs, and that is the best match of League of Legends that I have seen in a long time. G2 versus Fnatic. Uh, it was action-packed. It was exciting. It felt one-sided, and then it became the other way, and it was back and forth, left, right. It had everything a game wanted, and the best part is the internet is split on whether or not it was a macro god fest or a clown fiesta. Um, yeah, just really quick recap of everything that happened. You know, like Fnatic basically rolled the early game, like completely ran over G two. Uh, they were bullying the heck out of uh, 
perks in the bottom lane. They dove him a number of times. Like, Broxa on the Karthus was roaming around really well. And then G2 just basically, like, rushed, I think it was, like, the third Baron off of, like, an against-the-tempo play. Then Fnatic got a Baron back. And, like, this this game is so nuts. And it ended up it ended up ending with this, like, this, it's this incredible fight at the Elder Dragon where G2 basically won the fight by having perks Cassiopeia realm warp into the back and sandwich all of Fnatic, but then the two surviving members of Fnatic ran it up mid lane and ended the game on a base race. It was the sickest game that I've seen in so long. Like, I, I'm so glad I woke up at like 6 a.m. Australia time for this. Uh, how, did you guys catch that thing live? Like, how'd you feel? I was watching in my Discord, and I was very much of two minds about this game. I want to say that I feel like the teams that were playing from behind did a very good job of recognizing their win condition. First, G2 understanding that even though they were down by a lot, at 25 minutes, scaling was clearly on their side. Here are the wards they needed to place to minimize the damage and really did a good job of defending their base from sieges when they needed to step up and make that play. They picked the right moment to fight. Then Fnatic recognizing that, you know, they could make a play onto the base, and if they got the Baron, if they focused on taking down the inhibitor, Hillisang's brilliant call to go take down the uh, bot lane inhibitor uh, when he was certainly dead after a lost fight around the 40-minute mark uh, was essential to them winning this game because literally the bot lane inhib for G2 was four seconds away from respawning when the base exploded. So if he doesn't get it right then, that's it. There's no way... Yep. Um, and, and they had to go exactly when they did, and Reckless makes that call. If you haven't watched the mic check yet, definitely do. The first, like, three minutes of it are dedicated just to this game. And Reckless just passionately pleading, Hillisang, please, Hillisang, please come with me. Please, 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 is just, it. there's some goosebumps moments. So, but, yeah, they're really uh, but I'll be honest, I watched this game and I was cackling at the end because I cannot believe that G2 did that because... As much as these teams are very good at recognizing their win conditions, they were terrible at recognizing the one way they lose that game. That is, G2 did not need to pick the fight where they did. They could have gone back to their base if they thought about how that base race could have gone. Any fight after that point, the scaling was so far in their favor. They just, they got the win in their sights and they stopped thinking about the one thing that could cost them. And Fnatic, the 25 to 35 minute mark was really ugly from them in terms of recognizing where the holes in G2's defense should have been. So my answer to was it a fiesta or an incredible game is yes. Um, I, I see both <laughs> worlds of it quite a bit. We got the uh, Chase Wassner seal of approval. All right, Magic, I know you're chomping at the bit. I am. So now I didn't get to watch it live. I was stuck in traffic on the 405 having my phone blow up consistently. California just, life. Yeah, and I was just, my phone was blowing up because everyone was talking about this game. And I'm like, I'm looking through it all. And I'm like, okay, this seems like an interesting game. I'm going to watch the, the highlights. I'm going to watch the replay. Oh my god, I loved that game. It was so worth watching. Just even if you watch a VOD of it, it doesn't matter. Even if you know how it ends, it is so good to watch. Because it's like Chase said, the answer to whether it's a Fiesta or whether it's good macro is yes. Because it's yeah. both. It's there's The fans so, won that game. That the, was what happened. Yeah, the fans clearly won because it was so fun to watch. Every moment of it, you're just enjoying it. Like you said, just having good vision control, whether you're playing the mid-game pretty poorly like Fnatic did. And 
even G2 playing the end game when they have the scaling comp, had they literally waited five seconds, five whole seconds to go for that play, they win the game. It's the fact that they got too greedy, they were just waiting too, a little bit too long, they're like, okay, we have to fight now, we have to fight now, we have to fight now, instead of being more calm getting themselves into the zone, saying, okay, now we go for the Baron fight, now we go for the positioning that we need because we have the inhibitor spawned or respawning right now. Instead, they made the call before it had respawned with no Nexus turrets to defend. And I I will say, it was a great read by Reckless saying, you know what, whatever, we got to risk it for the biscuit, and they did it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. And, you know, that win earned Fnatic a spot in the playoffs as well. Uh, the rest of the games were, were fairly telling, I think, uh sk gaming really surged you know i didn't i didn't catch this one but they not only basically dumpstered vitality in like a 20 minute game which was a record setter for uh, european league history uh they then had to play a tiebreaker against shock and Elfir. they won that they ended up into the playoffs so we now have the playoffs set for the lec and it honestly looks like there's a little bit that is like surprising if you were watching like the first half of the split but everything else seems to fall right into place there and, you know, where do we even begin, right? Like, G2, Origin, Fnatic, then Splice, Vitality, SK. I think SK might be the biggest surprise for me, uh, but I'll be the first to admit I wasn't watching a good chunk of the split. Man. I'd say, for me, it wasn't SK. It's Misfits. Misfits having that huge slump halfway through the season is the biggest surprise to me because everyone was talking. Yeah. Even I would have swapped them. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I would have swapped them. That would have been, that been my, uh, my opinion. I personally had a Misfits placed second in my idea of who's going to be able to take it. It went G2, Misfits, Origin, Fnatic, in that order. And Misfits just coming into the season, they looked so hot. They looked like the thing that was going to be able to take down G2. They were going to be the ones to pretty much pull an Origin if you go back to 2016 when Fnatic was the strongest team and somehow Origin comes into the playoffs and they push it to five games against the undefeatable Fnatic. I thought Misfits were going to be that kind of team and then they fell apart. And that, to me, is a lot more than SK being able to get in because SK going is pretty decent. I didn't put Schalke No Fear that high up either, but I really was disappointed by how much we saw Misfits floundering in the end game. Well, and I think, it, I don't know how much you guys listen to the Euphoria podcast, but there's been a running trend of people who go on that show and are asked about Misfits. And the thing they all say is that Misfits is the most predictable team in the league. That Misfits goes by the book. If there was a textbook about League of Legends, what should you do in this situation, they will do that thing every time. And being that predictable is a death sentence. That's, I think, ultimately, they weren't able to adapt on the fly. They weren't able to work with unconventional situations. That's why they were so easily able to play out the early game where there are very clear ebbs and flows that you can expect from a particular laning matchup, and you could let the individual skill of these players shine. And then whenever they need to be the ones that are setting up a fight for themselves, well, the enemy knows where they're trying to set up that fight, and so they can counter it. They can they can make that next move ahead, and Misfits never had an answer to that. So if they couldn't overpower the opponent, they didn't have a way back in. And I think that they've made yeah. changes to their coaching staff for a reason. I believe Moose has stepped down from the head coaching position. So they clearly believe that that was something that was a problem, and they're going to address it in the uh, midseason break. We'll see how that goes. I will also just say real, real quick, SK Gaming, all hail self-made. Uh, first team all pro jungler as far as I'm concerned. Hey, man, you, you, you're talking to a longtime convert. I remember watching him in the uh, EU Masters and just thinking, like, this guy is definitely LCS material. And he's not the only one on this team, by the mm -hmm. way, because Crownshot and Whirlib 
are of the same make. Warlib was, you know, OG Giants player. He kind of played on a couple of other high-tier teams very briefly. But, like, you look at this team, and it's basically sourced, like, heaps of good European talent. A couple of Koreans as well who have, like, mixed track records. But, like, I think SK definitely always had the talent. It was just a matter of, like, were they going to be able to stand up to the other strong teams in the league? And I know, at least from my state, I wonder if, like, maybe a lot of layman fans who, you know, haven't been paying especially close attention to the LEC this split would kind of be in the same boat. But when I look at Misfits, I think of the team that took SKT to five games in 2017. And I know that's a long time ago at this point. That's more than one world's ago. And, you know, nostalgia blinders are a powerful thing, but you definitely have to think, like, this is a different squad. Yes, it's still got the same core, but the game has changed. I gotta agree with you on that. It's just, it's, it's a different game, it's a different style, and for me, I think that when we just look at how Misfits played, it's like Soas, one of my favorite players of all time. I have always loved him back all the way in the OG days, just to remember how he used to play. I think it was on um, Against All Authority way back in the day. I just loved him as a player and loved his style because he was so aggressive. So he went for these plays, but it's like you're talking about, Chase. He's predictable. You know he's going to play aggressive, so what do you do? You make sure you go for an early gank around level 4 and you're going to be able to kill him. Yeah. Okay, so the uh, the playoff spots are all set now. So just quickly running through it, we've got uh, Splice versus SK Gaming in round one and also Fnatic versus Vitality. Now, it's worth mentioning uh, two things here. One, the fact that the playoff format in EU is a little bit weird because they have six teams and without the normal buy system, they have this kind of like round one, those two matches determine like round two. But round two is also G2 versus Origin, the winner of which goes up against the winner of that next matchup. And, uh, sorry, the winner goes into the finals, the loser goes into the next matchup. So it's kind of like this double a limb for the top two. So it's even more valuable than just like a seeding advantage. So this year is definitely a, a little bit of a different format for, for Europe. And uh, that means that G2 and Origin have uh, more than just one chance to make it through. But I think you fear if you get seeded against Fnatic no matter what. Fnatic have been so hot. <laughs> this has been their time to shine. And I think it all goes back to the crit changes in 9.3. That was, to me, the Fnatic patch. Because you make Reckless... reckless exactly, you make re Reckless... Make Reckless great again, yeah. No, he's he's just a beast when he gets to play those hyper carries. Right, and, I, and th I think him being able to do that... Plus, the underrated one was Blippo. Being able to play more Conqueror-style top laners also was a huge buff to Fnatic, because Blippo likes to play the more bruiser type of top laner. So not only did you give a buff to Reckless, but you gave a buff to Blippo, so now Fnatic goes from doing really poorly where they started off the season one and three to now their third seed and they're looking hot. Yeah, eight, eight yeah. game winning streak. I, I like that you mentioned. Go ahead, Chase. Oh, I was just going to say, eight game winning streak. Turns out having four of the five returning members of a 2018 Worlds finalist is a pretty good thing to have uh, once they kind of figured out how Momentum, to... mo wins. Yeah, it's a legitimate strategy. Yeah. I also want to say, uh, I think Fnatic made the absolute right call to grab Vitality before they even saw... Who was going to be twin shots? That was the next news point. I was going to say they picked Vitality before they even knew who the other possible opponents were going to be. So Fnatic definitely feeling pretty uh, pretty happy about things. Uh, certainly expecting them to to go the distance, even though it's a long bracket. They they're just so hot right now. Yeah, Vitality okay. got has so, to figure some things out. I I don't know what's happening with them right now. They have a lot of individual pieces, but it just feels like there's something missing. And I hope they can find it so we get a really good series. But I, I think I'm scared for them. This is not where we thought they were going to be 
given how strong they started the season. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed behind my back for a little bit of Jazuke magic, but it's going to be hard. We'll see what happens going forward. Let's move on to a different league, a different eSport entirely. Let's head over to the Overwatch League, and we'll start with two news items before we get into the actual playoffs themselves because two pretty decently big things came out uh, this week. One of them is directly related to the playoffs, and the other one is more about the Overwatch League in general. So I'll start with the hype stuff, um, and this is, like, very near and dear to me, even though there's a lot of questions still to be answered. Um, but according to the Overwatch League commissioner, Nate Nancer, on uh, the 15th of March, so about five days from uh, ago from the time of recording, is that in 2020, the Overwatch League will have teams playing in their home cities. Now, this includes a league where teams are based in China, in Europe, all across the USA, in parts of Canada. This is hype. How are they going to do it? with a lot of time and resources <laughs> but i am so hyped for it i agree it's because they've been working on these these uh studios and these uh event and venues for a while to build these home stadiums and now they're finally going to be able to show them off and this is something that i want more esports to take note of because ah oh, it's so cool we're gonna have to see on the execution on it i feel like there's a lot we still don't know i feel like we only know a handful of what venues that certain teams have secured uh, we have no idea what interest is going to be in these tickets and how big these venues should realistically be because we've never had a system quite like this before. I have no idea how visas are going to get sorted out because these are a lot of countries that all have different rules and different requirements. So you're really going to have to plan out ahead yeah. of time. and how Take it from someone who's been in and out of China for esports. Yeah, <laughs> schedule management's really hard anyway, so adding that wrinkle onto it I think is going to be very tough. I honestly have a lot of concerns about the sheer mechanics of this, and Blizzard has been very quiet. And I want to believe that they've got something in play, that they're confident, and that we should all have faith in how that's going. Uh, on the other hand, I, a tiebreaker was decided by a coin flip today, and so my faith Th in Blizzard... Is, you're <laughs> predicting me today. You're <laughs> predicting me today. I'm gonna before you undercut me anymore here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get in here, Chase, and talk about it. Yeah, this was this was so weird. They had it in the rule book that there were a couple of different ways to decide tiebreakers, but a lot of them included match head-to-heads, and these were teams that didn't actually play each other. So they ended up deciding a tiebreaker for playoffs on a coin flip. So dumb. Oh my. Go ahead, goodness. rant away. That he misread, <laughs> by the way. I want to point out that he had to go apologize because he did the coin flip and called it for the fusion, even though the Defiant were the ones who actually won the coin toss. So they didn't even no, that was get... just seeding, by the way. Yeah, because, let me, for people who don't know, the other game in which people did decide they actually wanted to play their tiebreaker between the San Francisco Shock and the Seoul Dynasty was played off-broadcast because teams apparently did not want to reveal any of their strats on a patch that they've been playing for five weeks. And we have seven series of film on that presumably they were using strats that they think were good. This whole thing was just a mess. The, the rules as they were designed were always going to lead to multiple tiebreakers because there are only seven games in a stage and there are 20 teams. So the odds of this happening were incredibly high. And if you go watch the broadcast at the end of Sunday as Monty's trying to explain tiebreakers, he was unable to commit to anything. They didn't explain how any of this was going to work 
or even what the options were, which leads me, as someone who saw a literal coin toss today determine seating, say that I don't know that they had a plan. Or if they did have a plan, they certainly weren't confident enough in it to have it something that they were actively going to say on broadcast. I can't imagine Riot doing that. Like, Riot has these things so clearly in advance, they're talking up tiebreakers two weeks before the season even ends. Oh, dude, we get foldy sheets and everything, yeah. man. It's it's crazy. The foldy sheets. It's a it's a big thing. Any sport. I've introduced them. I've introduced them in in Os, in Os by the way. We're gonna have this week. <laughs> I love it. Here's the test for me. My grandma. I love her very much. She does not know esports. I explained this to her, and she's like, "That's dumb. How do you?" They want to be like sports, right? They keep talking in the newspaper we got, about we got, how... We got the Chase's grandma test. That, I mean, that seems legit. Yeah. I like it. She reads all these newspapers yeah. about how they're going to be the next big thing, and I have to explain to her that a coin flip determined playoff seating, and it gets really hard for her to buy in to the message that's out there. And I guess Blizzard's just hoping that the investors are going to see the big headlines and not really care about playoff yeah. seating and the broad scheme of things. But I... They definitely have to get the details. I think that's that's the issue, and that's kind of my same reservation on the on the home team stuff. Is I think Blizzard is really good at whipping up hype for everything, but they sometimes miss the forest for the trees. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this. I'm not the biggest Overwatch fan. I, I like to play it a little bit. I pay a little bit of attention to Overwatch League, so I'll be I'll go out there and say I don't know everything. However, when I see news that says that playoffs and seeding was decided based off coin flips, I get infuriated. I'm not even a fan, and I get infuriated because I know how Overwatch League works to a degree. That you have multiple stages that you play throughout the year, but also just a match. It's not just one game that you play of Overwatch, but you do several different tiers and different styles. So you have the points that you capture, you have the push, the payloads, all those different kinds of maps. So you have different ways Theoretically, you can settle tiebreakers already built into how you play these games, even if you only play seven matches total in one stage. So it's like, I look at the standings and I'm looking at this, I say, oh, I see that Atlanta, they are the same record as the San Francisco Shock, but they have one more win even though it's, I know how it works. It's not necessarily one more win, just one more point over yeah, the map shock. differential. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, why not just use that since that's already built in? Why infuriate everyone by saying, "Oh, I, I don't really know how I'm going to settle this." It's almost like the idea of having to use in-game times of how fast games go to try to settle the tiebreakers. But at least it's something in the game. It's something that yeah, was already there. That's always a bit troubling. I think so. The real issue that I understood, and Chase, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but it was that um, the first tiebreaker was off map differential, and sometimes they were still exactly the same, which is what happened with the shock and the dynasty right. and the fusion and the defiant. Mm -hmm. So what they what they would have done in the rules was they would have gone off like um, head to head map differential, mm -hmm. as in when they played each other. But the problem is the league is twenty teams big. And yeah. they didn't all play each other in the right. first stage. So now you've got, like, an issue with, like, which happens all the time in, like, American sports leagues where there's just too many freaking teams where they never have any head-to-head -to, -head to actually compare. But what I would have done in this situation is to just look at total losses and total wins of maps. So it's, it's not just map differential because they include draws, I believe. Yes. And whoever has, like, the least losses that or the most wins, just period, that should be the second tiebreaker, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, or just you... play a... Just play a best of one. Who cares? It'd be a best of one, or just do what hockey does, where you assign point values to draws, you to, which is one point, and then two points for a flat-out win. 
So, boom, you yeah. ha- have something uh, right there and that you can get. Do something like what MSI yeah, still not does when it's, it's much speed of victory, when it's three teams or more that are tied and we don't have time for all the tiebreakers. There's so many things they could have done. I will say... Hey, you know what? You know, I would have taken, I would have taken like, best diva bomb. Like, <laughs> best highlight moment. Totally, totally I will objective. say, Nate Nancer went on Twitter, apologized, and said, I promise we will never decide anything with a coin flip ever again. So... And you gotta give some credit to Blizzard for learning from mistakes. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I guess we'll. I'm like only half joking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I. Um, but yeah, let's let's not be too down on them because I think uh, despite the hiccups, uh, the playoffs are shaping up to be pretty exciting. Um, you know, we've got some cool teams. Like we have two undefeated teams, one in the West, one in the East. Uh, you got the New York Excelsior and the Vancouver Titans that play on Friday. Uh, against Soul Dynasty and Boston Uprising, the new have Atlanta Reign taking on the Fusion, and the Shock taking on the Toronto Defiance. Mm-hmm. So it's cool that we have this mix of teams that are expansion teams and teams that have been in the first season of Overwatch League uh, actually kind of taking shape here in this first stage. And some of them are starting to break a little bit out of the Goats meta. We started to see a few DPSs make their way onto the stage. Yeah, I mean, certainly the matchups here are super interesting. And I, I will say... Uh, if we're going to give the Overwatch League one big success for the year, their ratings on every day other than the season opener uh, have been higher than they were at this time last year. People are buying in. The schedule change for the regular season does seem to be working out. And I do feel like we have the best eight teams that are going to play. Uh, personally, I'm looking at the Rain Fusion as the series to watch for the opening uh, quarterfinals. I just think those teams are really close in power. I think DeFron's been uh, just an absolute pleasure to watch, and I think that the rain can do some really fascinating stuff uh, when you let them kind of uh, off the the proverbial reins, if if you don't mind the terrible terrible pun yeah, there. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, that's that's not totally unfair. I do want to try and jostle a little counterpoint in though, Chase, is that um, there's one team that proved they could challenge the rain. Quite effectively, and they unfortunately won't be in the playoffs. Is my my new favorite team in, in Owl? It's the Chengdu Hunters, and I know we talked about them last week, but that three two that they played was amazing. They picked Torbjorn, they played May, and I was cackling my butt off the entire time. Yeah. And I think the rain had a hard time handling some some weird picks. So if if Goats kind of goes off to the wayside in the playoffs, we might see some some stuff. Look. That's a little bit if different. The fusion I got to clap for you guys. Yeah, if the, <laughs> good call. If the fusion want to learn more from the hunters, I am in favor of that timeline. That is a world that I can get behind. We should all hope to strive towards the Chengdu hunters. They're just so much fun to watch. Just, just be like the Chengdu hunters. They, they, I think let's just let's just like blanket statement right now. Let's adopt them as the Overwatch League team of the GGWP. Are you guys okay with that for this season? Yes. I like it. Especially okay, like cool. just the fact that you guys not only called it last week and said, hey, this is a team to watch. They're not going to make playoffs, but you got to watch them. And then boom, they beat a team that's going into playoffs. I'm like, okay. And then you hear they play Torbjorn and May and you're like, oh, hey, I like you guys. Yeah, I was just, I was having so much fun watching this. And, uh, and they also proved they could, like last week they proved they could also play GOATS, even though they were like the only team not. Uh, I feel like when when goats kind of goes away, you know, with the changes that should be coming through for stage two, um, this is a team that can definitely start stepping up and delivering in a big way. And I'm excited to see where they go. Yeah. It's going to be great too. They uh, Overwatch League confirmed today. Baptiste is going to be available for stage two. They are going to play on the patch that just Ooh. went live. They are keeping to the promise That's they exciting. made in the off season. So again, another thing we got to give Blizzard credit for. They definitely learned about that 
from season one. And so the meta is about to get really interesting, seeing which team is going to be able to adapt in the two weeks they're going to have in between the season. It's going to be really fun. I think okay, that'll do a lot. Uh, oh, okay, sorry. I was gonna. I was just gonna get one more statement. I'm, I was just gonna say how I think changing goats will do a lot because you already talked about how the numbers of Overwatch League were growing and people have been complaining about goats this entire time, saying oh, I'm not a big fan. It's hard to watch. I think that with the numbers already rising compared to last year, plus the fact that they're trying to change the meta to make it more interesting to watch, is only gonna make Overwatch League that be much better. I'm looking forward to seeing it already. Uh, let's quick, before we move on to other news, gaming, and pop culture, let's talk about one more esports bit, and that is the fact that uh, EA unveiled a brand new esports dedicated broadcast center in Redwood Shores, California, which is, for those of you who aren't familiar with the state, uh, up north, just a little bit south of San Francisco, a little bit closer to San Jose. And basically, they, they built a dedicated studio for a lot of their titles, uh, which will debut with the Madden NFL 19 Challenge Major Tournament. I believe that's already happened uh, at the time of recording. It should have started on Sunday. So uh, what do you guys feel about this? It's beautiful. Oh, my God. I, just seeing the pictures of it, I'm like, okay, EA's finally starting to step up the game a little. They are, already were trying to make it so that you had Madden FIFA leagues already, so you're already kind of like, EA's trying to get into the game, but now they're really making that statement of, okay, we want to be competing with other titles and say, okay, we're going to be like how Blizzard and Riot are with their games. We're going to be a lot more dedicated to it. Plus, with the fact that they have Apex under their belt with the fact that they own Respawn, I think that opens them up to be able to get into the Battle Royale format as well. Yeah, the studio has everything. You've got the large competitive space with the touch screens and all the things that you would expect for, for sports analysis in particular that I think they've done a very good job of, of translating some of the uh, trademarks that people who like Madden, theoretically, they would have an affinity for the NFL as well. So it's been a good blend of a, a voice that they've kind of found for themselves in terms of both that and esports culture uh, and they have the players lounge which is like this nice loft area with a whole bunch of directional mics where everyone can relax and have those kind of post lobby segments and i think that they have found a really good balance for what they want these shows to be um and i think that they're executing on it well i think the madden championship series this year i don't know if you guys have caught any of it I do think that they have made huge steps forward from where they started. Uh, it's just much more tight. Uh, the stakes are much more clearly presented. You can actually follow the format without having to consult five different websites to try to put together exactly what's happened where. Um, so I think that EA's definitely stepped their game up and it does make me optimistic for where Apex Legends is going. And I'm not going to preempt you, so I'll end there. <laughs> You hit it on the head, man. I'm <laughs> salivating about Apex Legends and the potential that this studio has for it. But uh, one last news item before we move on to gaming in general, and that is WESG. And I can already feel Chase sighing internally from across the ocean, so take it away. I, look, I, I want to say, first of all, uh, congratulations to Wendigo Gaming, uh, who finished first uh, at the event. That's a cool $500,000, which is more than the total prize pool of every event that they had entered in the last three years combined. Um, so that wow. is a huge payday for them. I mean, this has been fun. You know, uh, Unicorn sponsors the United Masters League that's about to wrap up at the end of the month 
And so I've gotten a chance to talk to some of those teams uh, and see just how much they've grown in those few months. They went from being, I think, one team uh, of the of the 14 we invited were in HLTV's top 30. Now we're at four, uh, including three of them in the top 20. So it's been great to see these teams step up and to see AGO and Wendigo beat uh, Fnatic in G2. That's really impressive. That shows that the mid-tier of Europe is really taking a step forward. And it's nice to see these kind of upsets happening. That said, yeah. China, please, I beg of you, you're throwing all this money into the prize pool to tell us that it's a prestigious event. Can the players have computers that work when they're not playing the games? Can we, like, just a basic, can internet access be provided to the teams that are spending a week in your country running your event so that they're not having to respond to me via text message and this isn't tos by the way that you're that you're complaining about this is the entire country well right? well this is i clarify. mean these organization this organization in, in particular uh, uh ali uh ali sports has to get the brunt of it obviously we've seen with riot uh with the lpl and with other chinese leagues there are ways to do this the wesg in particular People complained a couple weeks ago when the seeding came out because the way that the groups were organized was a mess. They had six teams drop out before they even got to the event because they realized that there wasn't really a point based on how things had shaken out. Uh, it's The whole thing was so poorly run. Stream quality wasn't great. I, it just it, it always boggles my mind how companies will talk themselves into throwing away nearly a million dollars on a prize pool but not set up the basic infrastructure to make your event look and feel professional so i think that we need to keep calling attention to these kinds of things again shout out to wendigo and ago they stepped up in adverse conditions put together great performances they deserve the wins and that's awesome for them that they had the opportunity and the financial stability that comes with their strong performance here but what just an absolute mess from a production and quality standpoint for all the behind the scenes things you'd want from an event. Just, ah, there's the sigh. There's the sigh you heard. You heard it yep. a couple minutes ago. Let it all out. Um, <laughs> you just, sometimes you just got to let it out. It's okay, Chase. Uh, let's move on to happier news then. Let's, let's go into the gaming section of today. And we'll start with some good old Apex Legends stuff. We talked a little bit about Apex just a moment ago with the EA stuff, but let's get into it proper. Two big announcements coming through for Apex Legends. The first one, um, and this they both of them dropped a couple of days ago and they should be live now. Uh, first of them is the first post-release legend has come out and his name is Octane. This was kind of teased a little earlier by uh, some leaks information, but he looks so much fun. The dude can basically like throw launch pads on the ground to boost people into the air. There was some environmental stuff tossed in on King's Canyon uh, earlier in the week where people could sort of test this out. Um, he also was able to trade some of his health for additional speed. So he's kind of got like a stim pack thing going on. He feels a little junk ratty if we're, you know, if we're oh, kind of like comparing. Like, I'm, th like this is like full on like uh, uh, Borderlands sort of style uh, of character. And I really, really love that because it seems to fit right well into the whole Titanfall vibe. Um, and he's also going to be available, uh, same as Caustic and Mirage. He's, you know, you can buy him for about 12,000 League tokens, or Legend tokens, rather. Uh, and it costs about 850 US. So, uh, what have you guys seen from Octane? 
So I've been watching a couple clips and I just, one, I love how Apex Legends is in general with how mobile things are. It always looks so much fun just to watch. You don't even have to play and you can enjoy the movement, the mobility of everyone. But honestly, I think Octane just fits well into how Apex Legends is with the fact that you're tr like, it's a good trade-off. You have mobility for health. You have to, you have to kind of give yourself one or the other. You're trying to make sure that if you want to be as mobile as possible, you are having to sacrifice something. And I like that idea. But I will see how the execution kind of comes into him because he seems a little bit too glass cannony. Where you're trying to make sure that you're going around, but you get hit once, a good player is able to going to be able to punish you because you're trading your health for that. So if someone's able to get one good shot on you, you're done. Yeah, that's fair. Octane's real fun. I I have to say, uh, as someone who doesn't, that's like my Twitter reaction completely. It's just Octane's fun. Yeah, I, as someone who doesn't <laughs> play the game very much, I have fallen in love with uh, Octane A W W. The gif that it, of him just bouncing on a bounce pad. <laughs> uh, it is wonderful. Shout out to Moipara on Reddit for bringing that out. If nothing else, I think just the the game knows what it wants to be. It wants to be a game that's fast paced, that encourages yep. unique mobility options, that enable players to just make plays that feel fun and feel creative and reward those kinds of outside-the-box thinkings, I think Octane fits exactly what this game is looking for. I think the bounce pads are inspired, and it's almost... I think we're going to be looking at it a month from now and saying, man, I can't believe there weren't bounce pads for, like, the first month of this game. Like, this is so such a, a perfect kind of neat interaction. Um, just, just imagine, like, bouncing and, and like, being able to, like, uh, grapple hook your way over with a pathfinder like there's lots of cool mobility options mm -hmm. now and i love it uh the other news um we want to touch on is of course the battle pass the long-awaited battle pass and by say long, time. i mean this game has literally been out for like a month and two weeks and people have been ravenous but About finally the battle pass got announced <laughs> um so there you go yep the battle pass uh just a quick rundown of everything that's in it it's a thousand apex coins which can also be put towards the next battle pass um there is a three-stage evolving legendary weapon skin uh, for the Havoc, um, a couple other weapon skins, you get an Apex pack that guaranteed legendary, so a lot of the microtransaction stuff gets included. Um, you get three legend skins, five standard packs, 20 epic r exclusive rare weapon skins, etc, etc, etc. So lots of cool swag that's in it, but you can also basically like kind of level, level it up along with you, and even if you buy it midway through the season, you kind of basically get all of that like backdated. You get the, you get the level up stuff even if you leveled up without it. Um, which is kind of a cool idea. So if people aren't really certain they want to buy into it, they can buy into it later. What have you guys felt about this in, in terms of the whole you know free-to-play microtransaction world? About time! There, there's my reaction. <laughs> Good, that, keeping it short and sweet. <laughs> you know, here's where I come down on it. It was very interesting to see what the response was from players who are very hardcore into this game. Uh, Respawn had to release a, a statement basically... Uh, explaining a little bit more on their philosophy behind how they designed this battle pass because there were some complaints that it's pretty dull compared to what Fortnite was offering. For example, uh, a lot of people pointed out that if you get the battle pass, you get three skins at level one. Usually these are things that people would grind for. And so they're like, oh, you put all the best rewards early, so what's the point of grinding? To which I, as a person with a full-time job, say uh thank you that would be really really nice i am glad that i can get the cool things 
with the amount of time that I would realistically have to invest in your game. But apparently this is a negative for some people, so I... What? I, yeah, there was a lot of people who were like, oh, everything's front-loaded. Uh, they, they said that this was so that people who were first-time spenders could uh, be able to get a strong base of weapon and character cosmetics since uh, collections are still pretty new for people, and so uh, getting those started was something that they wanted to incentivize. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, so right. I, I, I think that this is the first of them, and so they started with something that was very safe, I think is, is the word I'm going to use for it. There isn't anything that's going to surprise you here. It's exactly what you think by the term battle pass. But I think that's fine. I think it provides exactly the kind of content that this game needs to have. You're still going to, if you're the kind of person that wanted a battle pass to incentivize you to play the game more, I feel like there's enough there that's going to incentivize you to play the game that you clearly want to play. Um, so when these rewards come in, I don't think should make as huge of a difference. Um, I will say that the, uh, the ultimate, uh, legendary Havoc weapon skin at level 100 is amazing. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but Havoc's eyes start to glow if you start getting a kill streak, and, like, the no her nostrils will emit fire, literally making you look like a dragon chasing your opponents down. That's amazing. That's so cool, <laughs> and I think that, uh, that alone is worth striving for if you're hardcore into this game. But yeah, I uh, if you're disappointed by it, uh, it's season one. This is a lot cooler than Fortnite's first season's Battle Pass was. I, I think they've shown that they have at least a good understanding of what's fun and what to work towards and keeping their players' best interests in mind. Let them, trust them, is what I would say. So far, Respawn seem to have earned that. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give them quite a bit of a pass. Uh, a battle pass. No, I'm excited. Ha, 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 yeah. Ha. Oof. Sorry, that just that just came out of me like a demon. Um yeah, let's uh, let's let's keep moving then. Let's let's talk about um, some other some other cool news that's come out this week. Um long awaited, we finally got the information on the Hearthstone release, what exactly it is, what the next expansion will be. Obviously with the rotation coming up, a lot of uh, questions abounded as to what uh, would be revealed specifically and Hearthstone did not disappoint. They put out a video that was equal parts giggly and cringe with uh, their, their oh, new uh, Team 5 head, uh, Dave Kosak, who, you know, he's no Ben Brode, but I definitely think he's got a future uh, narrating some Crypt Keeper-esque stuff. I was very entertained by this. I don't know if you guys saw the, the, the whole long announcement where he kind of flips through that grimoire and, like, goes through, like, all the cards and new mechanics that have been coming out. So I always try to watch them, and I get to the cringy parts, and I'm just like, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Do you just, like, do that thing where you, like, scrunch into your hands and you're like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, pretty much. And my face is contorting. My whole body's getting in on it. It's just like, it just, it looks like I'm being exercised or something. I'm just like, All right. Yeah. So for your benefit, I'll go through some of the cards that have come out because you clearly <laughs> wouldn't know. Um, but, yeah, so we, we got some interesting stuff that's coming through. Like, first off, the theme. They've got this idea of, like, kind of like a Legion of Doom, like this okay. evil... Um, this 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 evil like set of characters, which are all from Hearthstone expansions past, um, oh, and a lot okay. of them are very recent, right? You have you have uh, King Togwaggle from Cobalt and Catacombs, you have yeah. uh, Hagatha from The Witchwood, and you have Doctor Boom, who's been a couple. Ah, Doctor Boom. His expansion <laughs> was the most recent. However, they're joining up with this you know creepy old fortune teller uh, troll lady who's narrating the entire like all of the other videos, and Rafan 
who is like that mummy archaeologist, like ethereal guy from way back in the League of Explorers, oh, which wow. like was legit never that. played. So he's like the evil mastermind that's assembling this Legion of Doom, basically. Uh, and the entire idea is like there's sort of this covert op to like basically screw up Azeroth and you know retake uh, their rightful place on top of it or something. So I imagine all these other these future three sets, these future two sets that'll come out with this one will be all about the heroes fighting them. Um, but I don't know just yet. So a little bit of information about the set itself. Um, there's a new mechanic called Twin Spell, which basically just gives you a free copy of itself once you play it. So it's kind of okay. like Echo, but one time only, and it stays in your hand forever. So talk about instant value. A lot of that stuff comes out. Um, there have been about like 12 or 13 cards that have been announced already, so I won't go into details about it. But basically, there's a lot of like really inexpensive spells. There's heaps of value generation, uh, and some really cool like mechanics as to do with cards that basically get more powerful every turn they're in your hand. So this is going to create a lot of interesting like control meta stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, I was about to say. Um, I thought I heard about one that was called Hagatha's Scheme, where it, like upgrades yes. each turn in your like, and that's in your hand, I assume, right? Yeah, so it, it basically it's a five, that's a five mana card that does one damage to all minions. It upgrades to do extra mana every turn. So the idea is you kind of want this to happen early. Got you want to draw into this card early and then just basically wait to play it. It becomes this massive AOE wipe. Nice. Um, so like there's a lot of cool control stuff coming out in these metas and a lot of value generation. So I think that's going to be interesting for the expansion. But uh, Chase, have you have you seen a lot of this stuff yet? Uh, yeah, I've kept up with spoiler season. You know, uh, as I've mentioned last time. I've started to play a lot more Elder Scrolls Legends uh, when it comes to my uh, trading card game fix, but I, I'm always interested to see what comes out here. I think that Swamp Queen Hagatha is by far the most interesting card that's come out to me. You add a 5-5 horror to your hand, and you teach it to shaman spells, which is just, I'm assuming, is going to be done through the Discover mechanic. Dude, you can, you can Hagatha with a Hagatha. They're going to be in the game <laughs> at the same time. So you can not only do that, but you'll get a free spell off of it. Yeah, it's there's a lot oh, of wow. shenanigans that are going to be able to be done there. I do like that they... Yeah, and knowing knowing Team 5, by the way, they're going to have some weird interaction where they talk to each oh, other. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Archvillain Rafam, I'm glad that the Golden Monkey is back in standard. Uh, I miss it whenever it's gone. So <laughs> Golden Monkey! I'm glad... I actually completely missed that back in the day because I like rage quit when Grand Tournament came out and it was like secret pally every game. Reasonable. Um, I don't don't blame you at all. <laughs> that's that's the reaction from everyone. Um, the Caligos, Cali uh, the Mage uh, Dragon Legendary. Yep. Uh, I very much look forward Same to turn nine Malagos. coin Caligos. Realize that the first spell you played was the coin, so you don't get the free spell concede. Uh, that's going to be in a Trollden video on day <laughs> one. I'm calling it right now. Um, and then. As a, as a dirty, dirty priest player, I think that uh, Forbidden Words officially Shadow Word 4 if it needs to be uh, because you can spend all your mana to destroy a minion with that much attack or less. It's going to be really good in Arena. And with Lazul's Scheme, which reduces the attack of an enemy minion by one until your next turn and upgrades at the beginning of each turn, uh, I think that there are shenanigans that are going to be good enough that Control Priest could even end up seeing that Forbidden Words card. I, I will say, I I feel like I've seen this episode before of the, oh, look at all these Control cards. Control's going to be so strong. And then there'll be like three or four cards that are really good tempo cards and really good aggro cards. Hey, man, they got rid of Odd. They, 
They got rid of Odd. I'm 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 feeling like Team Five knows and what they, they're doing. They so had I'm, to. I'm giving them benefit of the yeah, doubt here. I, I, now it makes sense. We already, even with as few cards that we've seen so far, uh, it, it makes sense now that they did what they did. Yeah. I just. I will say, by the way, there for as many people as are going to do that coin Caligos thing, that's going to wind up on Trolden. You know what else is going to be on Trolden on day one? Uh, the Caligos. Turn ten. Calicos into a pyroblast, and that's exactly what they needed for oh, the Absolutely, that's going to be day two of trolls. So we're gonna we're gonna see those back. We're, yeah, we're gonna see those back to back. I'm certain. Uh, I think that card's got a lot of potential. Um, well, I'm, just I'm ready to see what's going to be like the most. Because you know, there's always one deck that comes out that ends up being the most powerful and super broken because there's one mechanic that works really weird with an old card. I'm really curious to see what is going to be that strategy with this new set because. I and mean, you look at how Shutterwalk was, we talk patches, there's always that one card yeah. that breaks the entire set. And But it's I, also like if it interacts with a card in a way that people didn't see coming and that breaks it as well. Sometimes it's yeah. a mixture of the two. This is true. That, that was the Shutterwalk thing, yeah. Do we believe yeah. that Pogo Rogue is going to be a thing thanks to the number yes. of shuffle there's effects? there's so much shuffling. You know, Augmented Elec is still in the game. We're going to have so much shuffling, dude. Don't even, like, there's, okay, so this is, this is another card that's in that's in the set um, that relates to like shuffling back thing, and that's Togwaggle's scheme. You choose a minion, shuffle a copy of it into your deck. It costs one, and it upgrades every turn. I imagine uh, there's a cap. Like I don't think it'll go to like thirty, you know. But still, that's already insane value, and it's a rogue card. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Pogo Rogue is that's like already I'm calling that is going to be potentially like a tier one deck. I unless like unless aggro takes over right away. I saw someone on the competitive Hearthstone subreddit theorycraft a Togwoggle scheme Cthulhu Rogue deck for Wild, and I might actually reinstall <laughs> oh, Hearthstone no. for that. I don't know that it'll be any good, <laughs> oh, but oh no. my god, just imagine, just please, infinite value. Oh, my goodness. I'll play against uh, you with that chase. We'll try it out. Yeah, we can. You can. Yo, oh guys, like you're just gonna throw some cold lights in there and everything. Exactly right. um, okay. So last last bit of gaming news, and I threw this in at the last minute because I literally just saw it like yesterday, uh, and is that uh, Call of Duty is going to be getting a free mobile version. So that's coming to Android and iOS. Uh, it's open for pre-registration as of today. Um, and that's been something that's that's been kind of making a buzz, at least in the business sector, and people have been looking at the Activision side of that uh, positively from there. So, you know, another player has entered the uh, the mobile space, and Blizzard kind of doubling down on that. What do you guys think? I I think it's interesting. I mean, it seems like it's a little bit a little too late for Call of Duty. Like this is something they should have done a long time ago if they really wanted to get into the market. And I think that a lot of people are now looking at mobile like, oh, this is going to be such a strong thing to get into, but not realizing that doing it now is too late. There's so many other games that have beat them to the punch, and they're going to go for this. It's not going to do as well as they'd like it, and they it might make mobile gaming look a little bit worse because I think mobile gaming is something that people have been underrating for a long time and has been slowly gaining popularity all across the world. But every little hit makes people go, this is why mobile's never going to work. And I'm afraid that this is going to be another one of those issues, is that Call of Duty is going to get in here, they're going to be too late to the party, and they're going to blame it on mobile gaming, and everyone's going to be like, this is why mobile's never going to work. This is why mobile's destined to fail. And so I don't think that's fair to mobile gaming. 
that a big name like Call of Duty is now, 2019, deciding to make a mobile version of their game. I think I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Magical. I think that the mobile market is huge. I think that for Call of Duty, you know, this has typically been a Western-focused game, and maybe it will continue to be. But if you look at China's just $65 billion mobile market, according to Nuzu, um, there's a lot to go around still. Uh, and I think that if they do this right, you know, every year we see Call of Duty games, whatever the new one is, still sells like gangbusters. People are still very much interested. I know this isn't the esports section of the podcast, but I do want to at least note that the Call of Duty World League is apparently selling its franchise spots for $25 million going into next year. So people are in. They still believe in the series. The sales are still justifying that uh, people are, in fact, still invested in it. I don't know that Blackout was exactly what they thought it was going to be, and maybe... Might have been a blip on the radar, though, yeah, right? It, it's... Like... They have hit or misses every Yeah, and, and maybe mobile they ends do. up being a, a miss, but I think it's a very reasonable risk for a very high reward if this pulls off. Because if they can make their way into being like the FPS for mobile, uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there. They have to do it well, and I'd rather them take their time right. and do it well than try to rush something out just because look it, at all this mobile exactly. stuff. Exactly. That's fair. I mean, look, Blizzard have been um, increasingly looking, and I say Blizzard, but that's Activision. They've been increasingly looking at, like, mobile market. Like, you look at the Diablo thing that everyone got up in arms again at at BlizzCon. There was a lot to dislike about um, not only that whole situation, but the decisions Blizzard have made since then. But they're definitely eyeballing the mobile market in a big way, and I think especially if you look at, like, China, which is carrying that market hardcore and is, like, kind of spearheading it, it's going to be a big moneymaker for them, and it's kind of a no-brainer if you do it the right way. So I agree with you on that, Chase. Uh, Magical, I, I do understand your skepticism, though. Right. It's not that I don't think that mobile's a good market. In fact, I think mobile's one of the best markets. I'm just worried that if it doesn't succeed like Activision and Blizzard want it to, that they're going to blame mobile, and then everyone's going to hop on that bandwagon and say, this is why mobile's bad. It's like, mobile's not yeah. bad. Just well, meanwhile, you need China's to do it not well. going to care. So right. I think people I think people are still going to like like it's it's really easy to get into a bubble of like ah oh, we don't care about mobile when there's a good chunk of the world that really does not care about that opinion. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk some pop culture and well, we just keep on rolling with the Marvel stuff. Last week we had Captain Marvel. Guess what dropped this week? We have After a while and guess what? It's right after the, the Captain Marvel movie dropped. They've been holding on to this one. The Infinity War trailer, or excuse me, the uh, Endgame trailer. I said Infinity War because I'm still in that mindset. <laughs> yeah, Avengers Endgame trailer number two dropped, and I think it said what we were all thinking in the first line when Tony Stark says, God, it feels like a thousand years ago. Because it really does, doesn't it? So I watched that far into it, and then I paused it saying, do I really want to spoil anything right now? And I'm like, I'm still torn on watching the full thing because... I don't know whether I want to go in there with any spoilers. It's kind of like the last trailer when they dropped that. I was really skeptical on watching it to begin with because I didn't want any spoils. I loved how they did the last trailer where it was only that little clip of Tony in the spaceship and talking a little bit about that. I thought that was a really well done trailer and I'm hoping it's the same way here. But seeing as I still haven't had time to go watch Captain Marvel and I'm saving that for this so, weekend. Magical. I will tell you right now. Yeah. Uh, 
there really aren't any spoilers for Captain okay. Marvel in it. Okay. In that particular trailer, it, it, it I will tell you right now, it shows Captain Marvel in one or two instances. And that's fine. But unless you consider that a spoiler, there no. are no spoilers in this for the movie. I almost feel okay. like there are no so you're, spoilers you're for the movie. Like, this is, like, they really did a lot to highlight the journeys that these heroes have gone. There was a lot of black and white kind of flashbacks, footage from the previous films to really set the stakes and hit that emotional resonant core of the journeys that these heroes have had. I, I stick by what I said last week. I think this is going to be a movie where all of the heroes that are in Endgame are going to get that big moment to really culminate everything their character has been building towards. I, I think that we still don't know very much about what that's going to look like, though. Obviously, we know things have gotten real bad. We could probably figure that out by just the sheer premise of half of life in the universe is gone now. But And, and how are they going to solve the problem, right? It's like, do right. they just like beat Thanos until he like unsnaps? Like, How does that and, work? And there's, that's there's not so much work. that we don't know. And I know. love that they yeah. don't tell us, and I love that there's not nearly enough in the trailers themselves to even make much of an educated guess. I, I feel... It's, it's got people on, on the edge of their seats, I yeah. feel like. They've done a really good job with I'm this. I'm so excited. Uh, like, I am... And, and, oh. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, it's also... It's coming up, like, soon. Like, this movie is a month away. Yeah. And oh this is God. how little we know about Wait. it. I think this is one of the most brilliant things that Marvel Studios have done, in that they've given us so little while having such a high amount of buy-in already set from over a decade... Of these movies, going back to Iron Man 2008. This like, is this, gonna is, set... this is it. This is the end of Phase 3, and we know so little going yeah. on. It's going to set so many box office records, it's going to be ridiculous. And I do want to say, as yeah. a quick checkup from box office, because we talked about it with Captain Marvel last week, as of today, $779 million for Captain Marvel. Nice. Worldwide. That's... That's... And you know, like, <laughs> that could very easily crack a billion. It's been out for what? Oh, at this weeks? point, it's projected to. We the really have. funny thing about it is, right, like, what happens when Endgame comes out? Because any other movie making this amount of money would definitely be remaining in theaters from between now and when Endgame would come out. But obviously when Endgame... That would be crazy if it, if it stayed in theaters it, that it, long. <laughs> I mean, it's in play, right? Like, if it keeps making this kind of money, why would you pull it? So I don't... This is kind of insane, and I, I you know, I, I think back... There was an interview that, that Kevin Page did uh, in January when he said that... Well, by the way, I looked I looked it up, and I, I hate to call you out on the podcast, but it's I believe it's Feige. Feige. Is it really? Yeah. I, yeah, I know. I, I just... I remembered the last time, and I, I made a mental note to tell you, so I wouldn't hang. I wouldn't be like, you're wrong, Chase. Your pronunciation is, is wrong. Uh, but I listen to a lot of Marvel podcasts, and that's how they always... Yeah, this them. is worse than the GIF versus GIF thing, because I can't say that the creator... This is his actual <laughs> name. Okay, Kevin Feige, yeah. I apologize. It's a, it's a, it's You've given okay. me so much joy in this world, I really should know how to pronounce your name, so I'll be better about that moving forward. I mean, it also <laughs> took me, like, what, like two weeks after we met before I got uh, Wassenaar? That's true. Yeah, you got there, though. I'm yeah, so, Shout yeah. out to you. Yeah. I do, but... He, yeah. yeah, it's not like you had the benefit of having 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 him sit next to you and be like, well, no, 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 here's how you, here's <laughs> how you do it. Man, so I, think, I, I, think I wish done, done I would have before. so many questions um, that I would love answers to. But he had that great interview in January. He said that Captain Marvel was going to be the face uh, with her and Black Panther. Those are the faces of uh, Phase 4 and beyond. And 
and that's what the comics are like right now too like for those of you who do read current marvel comics like they are two of the biggest players in avengers in uh a lot of like the the ongoing marvel comics adventures is like i think it's really kind of bringing in line with where marvel as a whole wants to go telling their stories that's cool yeah it's good stuff and you know i mean this is this is obviously like a massive pog champ at the moment but you know we've got a whole nother one like the hits kind of keep coming here and in a great way because as of this week it was confirmed that we got james gunn back on guardians of the galaxy volume three disney turned it around and you know the the dude's gonna get everything he's gets he gets to make the reboot of suicide squad which will hopefully be everything that it was meant to be and now he's gonna get picked back up for guardians volume three and you know i was not that stoked after two i thought it was okay but one of the weaker right. mcu films i am waiting to see what he can do back at the helm the thing i like about james gunn is even though i i agree like guardians of the galaxy 2 wasn't it was all right. It, it was enjoyable. It was not Guardians of the Galaxy 1. That first one was my one of my favorite, and still is one of my favorite Marvel movies that's been made. But the thing I like about James Gunn is he's at least willing to take a little bit more risks and try to make it so that it's a little bit more interesting, especially with how he incorporates music into the movies. And that's something I like when a lot of directors try to do is use music to really try to tell the story. And I'm so happy that they brought James Gunn back because I thought he, he's really the soul, the heart and soul of Guardians of the Galaxies. The second one, maybe not the best, but I think in Volume 3, he can really turn up the volume and try to make it so that it's maybe even better than the first one. You know, I really liked Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy 2. Um, I'm, I, I will once again give a shout out to Lindsay Ellis, who I mentioned last week when we were talking about the Disney film. She did an amazing... Uh, review of this uh, film kind of breaking down some of the larger family themes and how it had kind of affected her these kind of interpersonal relationships it's something that the first viewing I didn't it didn't click with me because I was expecting Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and you know 1 was so powerful because none of us saw it coming even if you liked the comics I don't think anyone expected it to be that funny uh, and that witty yeah. and, and, and everything that it was able to do, you're never going to be able to capture that zeitgeist again. But at the same time, I like re-watching that film, I found a lot more depth to it than I was expecting in terms of what the film was trying to say about its core characters. And so that has given me a very strong belief that James Gunn just gets this series even if volume two isn't everything you wanted it to be he understands these characters in a way that uh it would just feel wrong for anyone else to be at the helm and you know it's been very fun seeing the stories come out rumor has it that marvel never even looked for another director that the whole plan from day one was just to wait it out and once the storm kind of settled that they were going to go right ah, back to good old shot of the dead strategy that was that's what the rumors <laughs> are saying and if so uh couldn't have played out better for them couldn't have played out better for james gunn who as you mentioned is getting uh suicide squad 2 which is now being uh reworked by the way it's called the suicide squad and it's going to be a yeah, reboot. So they just added a, a proper name. Yeah, which is, by the way, the smartest way to do it. Because the first film was real bad. That, yeah. I mean, well, when the when the animated, like, Escape from Arkham is, like, much better at telling the same story. Not that there's anything wrong with, like, animation. It's a great, it's a great uh, medium. It's just that it had more mass appeal than Suicide Squad. So maybe it did something wrong in the live action. So, yeah, it's just great. He kind of gets the best of both worlds now. 
and I can't wait to see what Guardians 3 looks like. I didn't I didn't mind to. It wasn't my favorite, but there's such a high bar set in the MCU now that like even if you're on the lower end of it, it doesn't mean you're a bad movie. Unless you're Thor the Dark World. Yeah, we we, we don't talk about <laughs> Thor yeah. the Dark World. I mean, yeah, I'll, there were only I'll two say, Thor movies. Ragnarok was second, right? Ragnarok, yeah, 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 that's how that works. I'll say that Guardians of the Galaxy two was good. It just, for me, it was Yondu. It should have been the story about Yondu. The whole focus should have been him, and that's all, honestly why I didn't like it as much. Because it's like the Guardians of the Galaxy almost felt like side characters. Well, they had this deep connection with Yondu the entire time, and I'm just like, I love you as a character. Please, let's focus on you this entire time. Yeah, I, I get that. I, like, I think there's a lot of untapped potential there, and maybe that's what 3 will be. Um, but speaking of more potential, let's talk about some other stuff that's further on the horizon for, you know, this next phase of MCU movies before we move off it entirely. Uh, we will have, uh, as confirmed, there's a director already tapped for Marvel's Shang-Chi, um, and it is Destin Daniel Cretton. Now, I know, Chase, you really dug into this one, so do you want to give us the look? Yeah, uh, this guy is a really interesting choice uh, for this film. Uh, Daniel Cretton, if, if you knew him from anything, uh, his most recent movie uh, was a biological drama called The Glass Castle, um, based on a best-selling mem- memoir from uh, Jeanette Walls, um, depicting her childhood there. Uh, he was also uh, at the helm of Short Term 12, which was an indie dar- uh, darling uh, that was adapted from a short film that he had previously made. Um, the guy just has a really interesting style and a really interesting perspective on the world. I, I don't... It, it is one of those things where I can't point to anything he's done and say, oh yes, this is a guy that clearly knows superhero films and really knows these big budgets. But to me, that makes it all the more fascinating. I think that they're taking a guy who has a very different background and allowing those voices to kind of shine. That's been what's made the last few Marvel films in Phase 3 so fascinating, is these kind of unconventional picks. They're really letting directors have a little bit more of a say in terms of the style of these films and the kinds of of stories that they want to shape. And that's very important with Shang-Chi, because Shang-Chi is probably not a character that most people think of when they think of Marvel. He's really a a low C to high D tier list, uh, master of a whole bunch of martial arts. Um, Yeah, he shows up in a lot of other characters, but he's he's always like a bit of a side character, right? Like he has his own thing, but like even someone who's dug into Marvel as much as I have the last couple of years, he doesn't pop up as much in in, even in the modern comics. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm not too familiar with him personally. Yeah, and he, and so this is one of those things where um, he's done... It's a really interesting mix of people. And they also, I will say, have Chinese-American uh, Dave Callahan on the uh, writing side of it, which I think he's done a lot of really good stuff um, I, that I, I think is worth people's time and attention. It's just a lot of people that you wouldn't think of here, but... They really want to focus on the uh, Asian-American kind of experience. Uh, They talk a lot about wanting to uh, kind of work on the Shang-Chi mythology, really tapping into what makes his particular background different uh, from a lot of different things. If you want to just a really quick rundown, Shang-Chi, son of a China-based globalist who raised 
who is raised in this reclusive compound, closed off from the world, uh, and then kind of has to come out and settle with the fact that his dad might not be the good guy um, that he thought he was. There's a lot of interesting dynamics to wrestle with there, which is where I think the drama background can really shine. It's different than anything I would have picked for a Marvel project, and that's why I'm so stoked to see what this turns into. This is going to be fascinating, if yeah. nothing else. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of stuff they can draw into because they will dip a little bit into into like some classic martial arts stuff. There's no doubt that that will happen. Um, but I really like that Marvel have basically decided that not only do they want to you know really focus on in front of and behind the camera, uh, bringing in a lot more inclusivity, which you know kind of they had a big template for with Black Panther, uh, but they also are showing a willingness to, to take risks on people who have been connected to people that they've already utilized in in the MCU, uh, as has been the case with uh, with uh, Destin Crest, uh, Destin Creston because he, I believe he directed a film that Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson starred in, uh, but aren't necessarily as like known worldwide. So they picking people up who you know may be less known and giving them a real shot at like this proper like big box office smasher. Which is cool. Alright. Yeah, so one last movie thing uh, before we move on to uh, what we've been watching this week. And it is Shazam. This is the DCEU. So DC Extended Universe. Uh, it's due to come out in about uh, two weeks. It'll start on April 5th. That'll be opening weekend. Uh, and there's been some projections that it'll hit about you know 40 mil, which uh, DC... Definitely hasn't had as many big hits as Marvel in the last 10 years. Nowhere near it. Um, but that's a pretty solid number for them. And I think Shazam has, de has been a movie that's been pretty bigged up. Have you guys been, been keeping up with the trailers and, and the hype that's been going on there? I've been keeping up a little bit with the hype around Shazam. It looks interesting. It looks like it's going to be a fun, more lighthearted kind of thing. Kind of in the style and the vein of like Thor Ragnarok or Guardians of the Galaxy. But I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it because... When we see trends like this for DC, it only makes people go, "Ha, oh, this is why Marvel is better than DC and that kind of thing. When, For me, I always just like seeing superhero and comic book movies do well, regardless of if it's Marvel or DC. So 40 million people are talking about how it's on the lower end of the DC and Marvel kind of side of things. And I don't think that's fair because, like you said, it is still a good number. Getting $40 million yeah. for a movie is still a good amount. But people are still going to go, oh, it's not as good as the other ones. Why bother going to see it? Yeah, there's always obsessive comparative syndrome, right? And and I think it, there is fair critique in that, like, if they're projecting 40 mil and that's, like, less than, you know, Aquaman, which is the most recent by a good couple 20, um, it's less than Justice League, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, even all that. Like, so there's definitely, like, an argument to be made that it's kind of going the wrong direction in terms of, like, money made. But the DCEU is a very different beast than the MCU. So expecting things to just, like, blow out of proportion records constantly... I think it's definitely not fair because DC hasn't quite gotten to that level. Um, what do you think, I mean, it, it's an interesting pick for them. You know, I, I think that the uh, the kid dynamic is something that is going to turn off some of the people that were really in on the DCU. Uh, I, again, I, I didn't really care for a lot of the uh, earlier films. I thought Aquaman was fun. This looks like it's going to be even more fun. I have a review here that I, I just saw drop from Coming Soon. This guy's Alan Cerny. He said, quote, Shazam is Superman the movie, 
by way of 1980s Steven Spielberg with a little Guillermo del Toro thrown in for good measure. You like all that? It's fantastic. So, well, I already know I'm getting. My I am. Yeah, it sounds great to me. Yeah, that's a lot of good things all in one sense. So I am very curious to see how it does. I want it to succeed, and I do believe that at the end of the day, at least when I talk to a lot of people, if you're not into the deep comic minutia, I still have to explain to people which heroes are Marvel versus DC. Uh, well, it's even better because Shazam used to be called Captain Marvel, and there was a naming rights battle uh, that Marvel clearly won. Yes. Um, hence Shazam. So funny how that works out. But that was, I think that was back in like the 80s or yeah, something. Yeah, but I, I think the people want, if they're going to go see it, they're going to see it because they think it's going to be a good film. And I think if it is a good film, if what we're seeing these kind of initial takes coming in turns out to be correct and the audience agrees... I think it's going to do just fine. I think that it has a chance to be a real sleeper and even do better than those projections. I think the trepidation with DC has always been that it's been a mixed bag uh, and potentially on the lower end, uh, if you look at things like Suicide Squad, if they can get to the, hey, we can make consistently good movies to point, I think a lot of things turn around quickly for them. And I think that and I think they got some stuff on the horizon, right? Like, you've got the Suicide Squad remake. You've got the Harley Quinn movie. There's going to be some good stuff coming out in the future for, for DCEU, for sure. And I hope that, like, Shazam and the Suicide Squad movies, like, are the turnaround, the, the big point. Kind of like when you look back at how the MCU really started because of Iron Man. How before, nobody thought that any Marvel movie would be successful because you had flops like Incredible Hulk. You had Fantastic Four that just never really took off. The only thing that ever was worth its salt was Spider-Man before that. So I'm almost and the hoping... the X-Men, but that's Sony, so uh, yeah. Exactly, that was Sony. That was a, or Fox, these were I still, um yeah, 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 sorry, you're right. Uh, the... I think uh, Fantastic Four was Sony. Uh, those yeah. were just owned by other people. They weren't really Marvel anymore. So you're almost like, oh, anything attached to Marvel is really not going to be that great. It's like, that should be just a cartoon. So I'm hoping that Shazam comes out and it really blows people away. And it's like, oh, DC is actually something that can be viable. And I've always thought it could be. It just hasn't been done well. You look at the last Suicide Squads and that's the example. But I'm hoping that there's a bright future for DCU in the future. I think there certainly will be looking uh, on the horizon there. So let's go ahead and uh, move it on into the end, which is where we would normally talk about, like, uh, people hitting us up on Twitter or email and, and answering a few questions. We haven't gotten too much there, so I'll, I'll go ahead and bump out uh, the socials for all of those of you listening. Uh, you, of course, can get a hold of us out on Twitter at the GGW pod that is once again at the G D the GGW pod and I can't words apparently uh, you can also hit us up on email asking questions at geeksgamingworldwide at gmail.com all lowercase all good stuff uh, and you can always uh, hit us up and ask about what you'd like to see you know questions about any of the topics that we touch on but this is about the end of the show where we usually get into what we've been watching reading etc and we kind of decided this week that we would sort of start our own little viewing club for a show that we've all been talking about, and it is The Umbrella Academy. Uh, so I've been a naughty boy, and I only watched one episode. I know Chase has seen two, and Magical is, like, on six. Uh -huh. So we're all at different levels it's here. Good. And uh, we'll have to catch up. I think, Magical, I hate to tell you this, don't watch any this week, and Chase and I will catch up to your <laughs> level, and we'll review more. Um, but uh, for this week... 
We'll start at least on episode one, and because I'm an idiot, you guys can talk about two, and I'll just have to, like, not listen and hope I don't get spoiled too bad. But I'll start with my assessment of it, because uh, I watched this yesterday. I watched the opening episode. Um, obviously, they're about an hour long. It's on Netflix. And my first distinct impression was mashing together a series of unfortunate events and Watchmen. Like, visually, auditorially, plot-wise, like, everything kind of felt like they wanted to take this, like, kind of gritty, like, Watchmen superhero vibe thing, like, in a universe where there, where there really aren't any other special things going on. There's just these kids that uh, were born in 1989, like, to parents that hadn't been pregnant, uh, and then this rich eccentric guy comes around and basically pays for them and gets seven and six of them develop these superpowers and he trains them into like this squad of super powerful crime fighting, uh, kids basically, uh, where the seventh one kind of has to just watch cause she's apparently not special. And then some shit goes down and this is kind of like them coming all back together and, uh, years later trying to sort of meet up with each other because their, their adopted father figure died. Uh, but yeah, it felt it felt very Watchmen in that sense. I, I say series of abortion events because you've got this whole big mansion, creepy eccentric billionaire who's clearly not really a good guy kind of vibe. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on even in the first episode, and it was super intriguing. I was kind of hard pressed to tell exactly like how weird it got because at one point there's like a monkey butler that shows up, and you're like, okay, I guess oh, we're no. just accepting there's a talking chimp. Um, yeah, so uh, you know like. Break it down for me. What, what did you guys think? I guess we'll start with Chase since he's the closest to my experience. Yeah, so I've only seen one more episode than you. Uh, definitely, I, I, I see where you're coming from in terms of the, the Watchmen angle a lot. I think that when I heard a series of unfortunate events, I was thinking all about like the wordplay and the, the pacing of that. It's not that. It's the kind of uh, presentation of a, a kind of off-kilter narrative. Uh, so don't make that mistake. Uh, once I kind of made that adjustment in my head mentally, uh, I had a lot of fun with this. I think that two yeah. episodes in, there are a lot of moving pieces, and it's very clear that there's one person who's like, hey, I am the plot. I am the thing that actually needs to be dealt with for the season to move forward, and eventually you guys are all going to have to work with me. So you guys are going to work with me, right? And so far, the answer is absolutely not. Um, for various reasons, uh, all of which make sense for the individual characters that they're setting up. But uh, this is still very much in the, we are not on the same page. We haven't come back together as a team because things went really wrong, which has been hinted at in a couple of different ways, um, both in terms of what they're... Uh, childhood was like and the kind of interpersonal relationships there but also something went wrong as the hero team that they once were i, I will say um the one character i'm having the hardest time with is number seven uh vanya she's the one uh -huh. that yeah yep. this is this is the one that doesn't have superpowers that, and and that's i have one big concern and i really hope i'm wrong but the way that they're shooting this I, this is my fear uh, there's a, a trope that's pretty common in film and television, etc. The idea of, oh, if people stop taking their meds, then suddenly these weird and cool, powerful things will happen to them. And she is the only person who is constantly seen taking medication for something that's never explained to us. And she's the only person that was presented without powers. And 
I just can't help but feel like the reveal is actually she had powers all along, but they were the powers that they felt needed to be shackled, so she's yeah. been put on this. I'm expecting that And to I'm going to be really upset when it does. I'm really not here for that. Yeah. All right. So, Magical, right. Um, it, see if you can do this without giving us, like, yeah, that's what I've four been, episodes like... of spoilers. <laughs> how are you going to break this one down just to, to, to kick us off here for Umbrella so, Academy? I'll, I'll give you an idea of when I went into this. Like, the first two episodes. Because I kind of made sure that I, uh, that I had my thoughts when I went to the first two episodes and really thought about that before I moved on. So, for me, when I, like, I got through the first two episodes, it felt like the show is kind of predictable. But not predictable enough to make you disinterested. So it's like, you know, you can kind of figure some things out just based off tropes and that kind of things. But at the same time, there are good plot twists where you're like, oh, okay, maybe it's going to go this way. And you're like, okay, who's the bad guy? Who's this? Who's that? You're always trying to figure it out and it never gives you enough of the information for you to feel satisfied. So you're always wanting more as you continue to watch through it. That's how I felt after the first two episodes. And to go based off what you guys were talking about, oh, she's taking the medicine. It actually does address that in episode two, that she's taking it for her anxiety, that she has anxiety problems. So that that's why she takes the pills. I'm not going to go any further on that one because I don't want to. I don't want to give you guys any hints or ideas of how anything in the future. I'm trying to make sure I keep as much spoilers away from everything, while addressing some of the things you guys were talking about. Um, Let's see, what are other things? Pogo, the chimp, also, is one of the yep. coolest characters. I love him. I already he's, like him the most. He's, he's just, he's, he's, a, he's just, he hits all the right marks, man. He's just a little gentlemanly chimp. I love him. He's, he's great. I will say he's still one of my favorite characters, and I still don't know anything about him. But that's about all I'm going to say on it. <laughs> cool. I'm, dude, I'm looking forward to watching the rest of this. Okay, so this is our plan. Chase and I will catch up this week. If Magical can, can hold his horses and not watch the rest... That's great. If he just finishes it, then we'll have another I'm weird thing in my where chair. He's, just, he's just giggling <laughs> the whole time. I'm rocking in my chair like, oh, I want to watch more. Oh, boy. I mean, I guess, like, I guess, Chase, I don't know if you're up to it. We could just try to binge the entire thing between now I'm and next week. I'm willing to give it a shot. That's, you know, it's a... What is it, 10 episodes? Yeah, so 8, 8, eight 12. Uh, 12? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. You know what? I'll try. Magical. Yes. Go nuts. Yay! <laughs> All right, so when we come in back next week, we'll be reviewing the the entirety of Umbrella Academy because I'm definitely intrigued here. I will try to watch as much of it as possible. Maybe I'll just, like, watch with a friend and just restart episode one so I've got, like, that going. Um, anyways, that's about it, guys. So, you know, this was uh, our second episode. Once again, we are available not only on Anchor.fm but also on Pocket Casts, coming soon to iTunes and heaps of other platforms as soon as I can get... Uh, all of the applications sorted. So, thank you so much for listening. And on behalf of myself, Pyrotechnics, Chase Wassenaar, and Mad Magical, we will see you guys next week. And GGWP. Goodbye.